So we've been bouncing around in quality of episodes in Season 3, but I gotta say, this is a really good episode. This is probably my favorite episode so far in Season 3. Not my favorite one, at least by memory. We haven't gotten to the other one yet. But between the excellent performances by Nana Visitor and uh, Rene Bergenois and Aaron Eisenberg just nails his side of things, this is some great stuff. This is also some great continuity in both the reverse section and in the forward section. Unlike some other things, which I've been kind of making fun of as we go through Season 3, Nog joining Starfleet, that's actually canon, that's actually going to matter, and it's actually going to change his character arc, and that's awesome. Let's talk about the Odo side of things first. Um, so, obviously, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler, 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 uh... They, they th- this is fake Kira, like almost the entire episode. She, it's her, Kira on the shuttlecraft, and then they split up, and then Odo gets a comm signal from the female changeling, the founder. And that's the moment at which it's the fake one from that point onward. It's funny because it seems like a reasonably large amount of effort being got into this, but at the same time, it's kind of not. We've seen solids and, and mortal organizations going into more effort than this in order to get what they want. And as we will learn more and more of over the years, there is very little that is more important to a changeling than a changeling. And thus, to the founders, the idea of doing all this to get Odo back, this, this is petty change. This is one tiny little effort. They're willing to go through far more than this to get him back. Because, and I'm going to use a direct quote here, Odo matters more to us than the Alpha Quadrant itself. And I believe that. Regardless, this is, a, this is a very important step in the development of the Dominion. Because this is actually the first time we see the sheer extent to which the Changelings can infiltrate. We've always known that because there's Changelings in the Dominion, they'll be able to do some kind of reconnaissance and surveillance on us. We know this because we've seen Odo do this. You know, appearing as a glass on a tray. That's literally something that's happened on camera, for example. But being able to infiltrate and present themselves as another person, that's outside of Odo's capabilities, but not theirs. And as an addendum, having seen this, we also kind of see just how much, and and again, I know this has already been emphasized, but it's re-emphasized how in-depth the level of intel that the, the Dominion has at their disposal in order to do this. This founder, the female changeling, she was very, very, very well briefed for this scenario and had tons of information about Kira and about Odo and about the station in order to be able to very convincingly portray Kira. If anything, probably her biggest mistake was that she took too long for the dilemma to go. She allowed hours to pass, which allows more incidents to pass, which allowed for more possibilities that Odo would put things together. Because there were a few times where this just felt like a little bit too convenient. Now... Quick aside, I do really like this episode, but that rock prop, or I should say those rock props, are stupid. Now, apparently everyone hated the rock pops. Kira, not a visitor, hated them because claustrophobia issues and being stuck inside a giant styrofoam thing is not going to help with that. Um, the uh, the writers, the creators, the cinematographer people, the director, all looked at that like, this, it just looks like a piece of painted styrofoam, because it does. Like, I know budget issues are a thing, and I know reality is a thing, but that just looks dumb. And it's always one of the biggest things that when I first saw this episode, which, again, was my second time watching Deep Space Nine, I looked at this like, really? 
Okay, that's got to be fake. And I, I don't just mean in the obvious sense that it's fake. I mean in-universe. There's got to be something else going on here. That's just ridiculous. Uh, what is this, a Horda egg or something? I don't know. Anywho. So, the director goes way out of their way to lock down everything. No sensors, no communications, no capacity for beaming, which makes sense if there's no sensors. I mean, how do you beam without sensors, right? And it arranges this whole situation relatively perfectly. I do have to admit, they did a good job of the setup here. Here's an isolated, dangerous, hostile area, and we're going to set up equipment here well in advance to make sure that nobody's going to be able to do anything about this, and then all we have to do is wait. Wait for Odo to be out and about with Kira. I would be willing to bet, knowing what we know about the Founders and the Dominion, that the reason Odo and Kira were specifically the ones who went to this colony in order to uh, make sure everything was okay was because they were both specifically requested to go or even assigned to go by a Founder or by a Founder manipulating something. I would almost guarantee that just to make sure they got the two of them separate by themselves. In fact, everything about this plan fits except for one point, and as ever, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Why didn't she kill Kira? Now, we know why she didn't kill Kira. It's because Donna Visitor wasn't leaving the show, and they don't want to kill a major character in such a relatively minor way. I, I mentioned just last episode, uh, you know, the idea that if you're going to kill off a major character, you got to do something with it, right? And this would not be a good way to kill off Kira, in my opinion. But... In universe, why didn't she kill Kira? Any ideas? Any thoughts? The best I've got, and this is pure wild conjecture, is they've got some kind of brain scanning device in the pod she was in, in the stasis pod, which was feeding information and knowledge from Kira's brain to the founder, helping her to maintain the facade. I don't buy that, especially since A, we know the intel abilities of the Dominion are top-notch, and B, spoiler alert, we will see Dominion people without mind-scanning devices do a pretty good job of impersonating people in the future, so I don't buy it. Anywho, so uh, I love the idea of Odo going kayaking with O'Brien. I really do. As I've pointed out several times, Season 3 has kind of had... Odo pushing himself further and further forward with the idea of social interactions. Um, and I love that, not just because it's him you know, growing and learning and developing, but because, well, it's the idea that Odo no longer feels like an outsider here. That's the big point. It was, I mean, I know he flat out said that all the way back in The Search Part 2, but here... He says this, he doesn't say this, he does this. He actually shows, they, the creators of this show, show us through actions that Odo really does feel more comfortable with these people, really does feel like he belongs, really does feel like he is part of a new link. And I like that. It's that, that right there is what I love about good continuity. You don't have to call attention to it. You don't have to make it obvious, but you make the actions of previous episodes matter for future ones. And this new, this increasing socialization from Odo is a great example of that. I also love the idea of Odo being out trying to do the paddling. It's like, okay, and then this one. Have you ever been kayaking? I've only been kayaking twice in my life. That was hard work. <laughs> of course, I never hit rapids because I was a kid at the time. You know, teenager. Uh, but, yeah, kid, but yeah. Hmm. I love the fact that Odo turns himself into a, a fluid shield to keep the rocks off of fake Kira. That's actually a nice touch. A good utilization of the abilities of a changeling there. I don't know what else to add to that. Um, and he mentions several things. And if you're paying attention, all the pieces are there beforehand. 
you know, a few things don't quite line up. Um, she says something that wasn't the, the response that he expected, and even notes that. And the structure of the crystal is changing in order to make sure that it doesn't reach a certain frequency, which makes sense. I mean, otherwise he would shatter the changeling, and that would be horrible and probably hurt. <laughs> and then, of course, there's his story about his name. Now, I do have to ask, in the years that they've known each other, because Odo and Kira have known each other since before, you know, Emissary, the, the first episode, have they never brought up why his name is Odo? I mean, I believe that. I've had friends for years where I don't know certain things about them, too. But it's just funny to me that that's never come up before. That being said, I like that little story. It's a nice insight into Odo as a character. Unknown Sample. I admit to this day I still kind of mentally think of him as Unknown Sample every now and again because it's so apropos for him. I also like the fact that, and this is this is a harder thing to explain, but it's just something I've noticed many, many times in real life. Um, if you call something, like if you say, your name is Silly Flange, right? And that's just kind of a silly, ridiculous-sounding name, right? But if you use it with sincerity and without joking for a long enough period of time, it sort of acclimates itself to being normal. We get to the point where we can look at a character, and that character's name is, I'll use something from my own example, that character's name is Hatred. And th that just kind of fits. There's nothing else about that. It's just his name. It's just what he is called, right? And you just kind of get used to that after a while. And it's funny how much we can get used to things like that. I myself have a my own little thing about that. I'm not going to bore you with it. But I mention that because in Odo's case, it becomes clear that the name Odo, even though its literal meaning is unknown, nevertheless kind of became something that had more meaning to it by virtue of its usage over time. Now, this can be both a good and a bad thing. My personal favorite example of that is the word manager, which is a word with a lot of negative connotations nowadays, in, at least here in the States, and for good reason, because most middle managers here in corporate America are awful. But the actual word doesn't mean any of that. It's just grown that meaning. Now, that's a negative growth, but it can be a positive growth as well. The idea of calling someone, for example, lore over time and kind of becoming normal and becoming ordinary and getting to the point where I don't have to just feel a little weird or people don't feel a little odd calling me lower over time, right? <laughs> Obviously, that's not my name. It's just my title or my moniker, if you were, but you get the idea. I like that. And I like that little story he gives. Um, then I'm, I'm going to skip over the fact that Odo says he's in love with her, although I've mentioned before that it's been officially confirmed by now, even on episode. But this is this is the the no point of no return. He flat out admits that he is in love with Kira. Really? You haven't been mowing for like two hours. Now you start. I'm sorry, guys. I there's not a lot I can do about this. So I'm just gonna gonna kind of talk over this for a second. It looks like they're going by, so they should be by in a moment. Um, the. I'm going to skip over the love thing for a second. This is officially confirmed, blah, blah, blah. What I want to know is, Kira's like, you haven't said anything in an hour. Why did it take Odo an hour to piece together this puzzle? Really? Like, why have that little line there? Why not just have her say, Odo, you haven't said anything since, you know, I admitted I loved you. Right? Just have that there. Let us presume how much time has passed. Don't just, like, do you know how long an hour is to sit in silence? That's insane. Anyways. Um, and then the changelings show, and this is something I've already referenced, that they really just do not understand how other people tend to think or feel. 
she logically presumes, based on her understanding of changelings, that Odo has decided to stay with the Solids because he has a connecting point keeping him with the Solids. And the connecting point is Kira. He loves her, and therefore, if she is removed from the equation, then he'll come back to us. Now, that demonstrates an incredible lack of understanding of anything, of any of the nuance of this. And funnily enough, Odo himself pretty much admits that it's not just Kira to the changeling. He doesn't know it's the changeling at the time, but he, he, as he's talking about O'Brien, as he's talking about Cisco, as he talks about Quark, he, we get the idea that he has his new link, and she just presumes that if you sever one little connecting tie there, he will go running back home. Because she doesn't understand him. She doesn't understand them. And this goes back to what I talked about. The changelings just cannot process the way that these people think. They presume automatically he is a changeling, therefore he has to think like us. And for a changeling, I'm, you know, in other words, we get a little bit insight into what the changelings as an aggregate tend to feel. A changeling may have a particular attachment to an individual solid. We will actually see instances of this in the future outside of Odo. But if that attachment is gone, they just, they just kind of shrug and go right back to the link which is something that actually happens. As if you just lost a mildly important toy. And I say it that way, because I don't even mean like it was something that really mattered to you. It was just something you enjoyed, just something you liked. A nice little diversion, but nothing real. Nothing that actually matters to you. Nothing that's actually pertinent to you, right? Instead, just something that was a pleasant little side activity. A hobby at best. And once the hobby's removed, well, we have to go back to the real thing, the serious thing. And the real thing for any changeling has to be the link, right? Mower, mower, mower. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry, guys. I really am. <laughs> is he moving by? What is he doing just sitting outside? He's just sitting outside my window right now, guys. I can't believe this. He can't see me, of course. I've got all the windows drawn, but I can see through the cracks there. Ugh. <sighs> Let's talk about Odo being in love with Kira. I've been waiting to talk about this for a while. <sighs> Why does Odo love Kira? Let me, let me try and rewind a second here. I know this is going to sound weird, but I suppose as much as I like humanizing characters, and I do, absolutely, and I do think it's something that needs to be done, especially with aliens, I also like it when every now and again an alien is an alien. Odo is one of the most alien creatures we've actually encountered on a regular basis in Star Trek. Like, there are things that challenge the level of alienness that Odo is compared to, you know, humans. But Odo is a regular recurring character, right? Spock was still fairly human, Data was still fairly humanoid and built by a human and for human purposes and thus very understandable from a human perspective Odo is completely alien he's almost literally magic as I've pointed out more than once in the past because of the nature of his shape-shifting why does Odo have the capacity for emotional connection with a woman who happens to be a solid now I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing but if I was to be so bold if I was involved in the writing team, I would argue against this, because I think it should be the other way around. <laughs> Hear me out for a second. Actually, if I'm being completely blunt, I would not have put Odo and Kira together at all. I don't think the two work together in a romantic relationship, and, and I 
that's my opinion. I, it's also worth noting that both Rene Bergenois and Nana Visitor have both said multiple times that they weren't in favor of the relationship either, so whatever. However, all of that being said, if you if if the if the order came down from high that Kira and Odo have to be well that there has to be a romantic connection between the two, I would make it the other direction. Because to me, I like the idea that Odo in his own particular way, does value and respect and care about Kira. And remember, he's becoming more and more socially inclined lately. And I hate to, to kind of segue a little bit with this, but we know the founders are actually very social creatures. They're actually incredibly social creatures. It's just the, cre the other beings that they socialize with are themselves. And we'll get more into that topic later. But, you know, a changeling without other changelings is kind of a hell for them, right? And to an extent, we saw that with Odo. In fact, one could argue that Odo was in that state until the show started. And when more people started to accept him and embrace him and bring him into their wings, so to speak, and he started having social interactions with people who respected and trusted him. And thus we get this new social dynamic with Odo, and he finally has the social interactions he wanted. So, I like that, but I would like the idea better that Odo doesn't quite understand romance, at least not in the same way that other beings do. Kira, of course, thinks of romance basically like we do, right? I mean, we've already seen her in Burial. Now, I'll admit that's kind of an issue here, is the fact that she's already been with Burial, and there's someone else later that she'll get up with, too. I'm just going to mention that right now. Um, and, you know, I, I admit that that's a flaw in this overall setup, if I'm being honest, I probably would have never shacked her up with Burrell to begin with, but that's off topic. The point being, I like the idea more that there is some latent attraction, maybe some kind of subconscious thing, right? Like, Kira obviously would love Burrell, but would still find herself drawn to Odo. And it's kind of understandable why. I, I believe I talked about this, but I'm not 100% sure. Back when I talked about Loxana, you know, falling in lust with Odo, it made a degree of sense. Because there's actually a lot about Odo to be in, to, to be desirable. You know, he is very intelligent, very perceptive. He is considerate. He is um, the kind of person who has layers to him and dynamic to him. He's the kind of person who wears a mask more or less literally. He has a great deal of pride, but is also very shy. He doesn't like being the center of attention, and so forth and so on and so forth and so on. There's a lot that could be seen there as desirable. But I think Odo himself shouldn't reciprocate that at first because the whole idea then is that Odo is basically just being written as another person. This is my biggest problem with the Odo falling in love with Kira thing that's been a developing thing throughout all of Season 3. Where does it come from? That's what I don't really understand. Where does this, relate, this uh, amorous sensation, where does this uh, feeling of desire or... Uh, love or affection or intimacy or whatever it actually is, where does it develop from? Now, I'm not saying Kira isn't a catch either, because she sure as hell is. Uh, you know, major and attractive and intelligent and very... Uh, she, she, I'd say dominant, but actually the word I want to use here is very aggressive, while at the same time having a soft side. I mean, she's a very interesting character, and I could see why lots of people would have romantic feelings towards her. So that's not exactly out of bounds... But what I mean is, they never give us where it comes from. It never develops naturally. It never, it never flows from anything. If I might be so bold, 
and forgive me for bringing this up for like the 50th time, but one of the things I liked so much about the Tom and Bellana relationship over on Voyager is that they took their time and slowly built it up. They showed both characters slowly getting closer to each other. Slowly. Emphasis. Becoming more friends. Becoming more comfortable with each other. Having more respect for each other. Having more close encounters. And then just kind of getting inching and inching until it finally got to the point where both of them realized they were romantically interested in each other. And then actually going somewhere, somewhere with that. And continuing the relationship after that. I... <laughs> I loved that arc. I'm not even a shipper. I'm not even interested in romance in my fiction. I still love that arc because of how natural and how smooth it was. And frankly, both actors really sold it. By contrast, Odo is just interested in Kira. It just comes out of nowhere. And it's never really explained. And Kira obviously shows no interest in return. Now, obviously, that's part of the point, the tragic love interest. And you know what? I'm okay with that angle. But you still have to explain why it developed on Odo's side. And they never do. Now, I've heard some people, including Sci-Fi Debris, talk about the idea that Odo should have been portrayed as even more alien here. That he literally doesn't understand the concept of love at all. That, you know, I want a close relationship. Well, we already have that. Just like I have with, you know, Bob and Bobina over there, right? I'm not sure I would go that far with it personally. Because I do still think that there are, let's call it, standards of sentience. Especially within a setting like Star Trek, where most of sentient and sapient life came from a single source. But um, I do still like the idea of making him more alien rather than just the guy who loves someone who will never get that someone because that someone doesn't love me. You know, unrequited love, right? I mean, I could quote Babylon 5 here, but you get my point. As ever, interested in your guys' thoughts. I, I just feel this whole thing was sub subpar and substandard. And I love this episode, and I love both characters. I just this 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 love interest thing never really kind of worked for me. In the other half of the episode, which I actually think is the better part of the episode, which, which is funny because it gets far less screen time, Nog tries to join Starfleet. Now, one of the things I like about that is Cisco has had a recurring subplot in a small handful of episodes since all the way back in episode one, all the way up to here, where he has slowly gotten more and more accepting of the Ferengi in general and Nog in specific. And a lot of that is due in strong part, thanks to Jake. Having I mentioned how weird it was having the B-plot, uh, I think it was last week? Yeah, it was last week in Life Support, with Nog and Jake kind of reconciling. But at the same time, that episode, in my opinion, that, that, that plot, I should say, should have happened before this episode because it was another stepping stone in this subplot, the idea of Cisco being more accepting of Nog in particular. And I love the idea that when Nog says, I want you to be my apprentice, Cisco doesn't just dismiss it out of hand. In fact, when Nog says, I am now an adult by the, by the standards of Ferengi custom, Sisko's response is to give a very natural and warm smile and congratulate him. You could tell there's some legitimate respect there, rather than the kind of, you know, I smile because I'm forced to by the job kind of a thing, right? Or fake politeness or something like that. No, no, you could tell he's like, ah, oh, that's awesome, congrats, Nog. And then, you know, and he offers him the Latinum, and Nog keeps going for the handshake. Now, I like that because that is... They never say it, but I've always presumed that is Nog trying to reach out. <laughs> I know that sounds obvious, but what I mean by that is trying to reach out by using a human custom. Frankie, don't shake hands, not really. 
But humans do all the time. And Nog constantly is like, yeah. Just try, like literally trying to show, I've, I've done some of my research. I'm willing to do this. And I love, I love, I love the part where Dax comes in and is like, Nog? Nog? And Cisco's like, I know. So we're going to give him some work. I want him to send him to Cargo Bay, and I want him to study it. And Dax is like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and, you know, and it's, it's so naturally assumed that they're going to assign someone else to watch him. Or they're going to have someone looking over his shoulder, either to help or to make sure that he doesn't do anything wrong. And Cisco is like, no, he does it on his own. I really like that. I really do. I, it's hard for me to properly explain how much I like that because that is basically Cisco saying, I'm going to give him his chance right here. Is he a hard worker? Is he the kind of person who can make this work without you know, someone watching over his shoulder? If we have someone watching over his shoulder, we will not see something more genuine to whatever he's being. Now, obviously, he could still be lying as part of this, as part of some big scheme, and obviously Cisco still thinks that. But, well, there's a reason that phrase, what you are alone in the dark, exists. And what Cisco wants is for Nog to be alone in the dark, relatively speaking, to see what he really is. And Nog works his ass off. I like that too, by the way. Nog has... This is actually going to be a recurring character aspect of Nog in the future. And he's going to start having this very hard-working persona thing. He's definitely willing to knuckle down and actually get his hands dirty. And I, I think that's one of the things I like about his character. I've, I always have a lot of respect for someone who's willing to you know, really roll their sleeves up and get some real hard work done. That's true in real life as well as in fiction. And so I love that, that aspect of it. And you know, Dax comes back it's like, he did it. He did it, and it's, it's, he's, he did a good job of it. But the thing that Cisco keeps running into is why. Now, this I like. Because if you're paying attention to the episode, Cisco never actually really says, I don't think you should belong. I don't think you belong in Starfleet. Hear me out. And he doesn't actually say no, and he doesn't actually say you're out. You know, this is unacceptable. Rather... Cisco says several lies in order to try and deliberately provoke Nog in order to get the answer from him that nobody's been able to get the whole episode. Why? Why do you want to join Starfleet? Because Cisco is someone who believes in the uniform. It's not just a career. It's not it's, I shouldn't even say just a career because careers are a big deal. It's not just a job. There we go. It's more accurate. It's not just a job. It's not just, it's not just a vocation. It's not just something he does. Cisco believes in Starfleet. He said this many times before, and the significance and the impact of the uniform and how much that means to him. If he's going to recommend Nog get in there, he better damn well know why Nog wants in there. And then Nog gives his answer, and god damn, that's a powerful scene. Aaron Eisenberg absolutely nails it, in my opinion. My father, my father... He's a mechanical genius, which is something they've been slowly building into his character since season two, actually, and will continue doing in the future with Rom. Um, you know, and, and thankfully, they'll be doing more character stuff with Rom in the future, too, because Max Grodenschick is actually a pretty decent actor, and I like the fact that they gave him a chance to do something. But anyways, my father is a mechanical genius. He could be the chief engineer of a starship, but instead, he's busking tables at a bar that his brother owns. And the best he could ever possibly hope for is to someday take that, because he doesn't have the lobes for it. Now... For those of you not fully cognizant, what that means is he's not business savvy. That got my mind really going. One of the there's a really great episode in I believe season seven of Voyager, season six or seven. It's very late on, where Balana is talking with a hologram. It's it's Voyager. Just bear with it uh, about the idea of Klingons who are not warriors. 
Klingon scientists, Klingon engineers, Klingon builders, all the other aspects of Klingon society we don't see all that much of. The people who really get all of the stuff done, the people who really have all the real glory, as opposed to, you know, the ones who are, aha, we will fight, right? And that's always been something I've liked about the idea that there's this underculture to Klingon people. There's this underclass to Klingon culture where the people who actually support the warrior caste really get everything done, right? Are the real reasons why the Klingons are so fearsome and so powerful. And I, I kind of like the idea, too, when it comes to the Ferengi. Because if every Ferengi was business savvy, well, to be blunt, that's not a culture, or a people. Hell, that's not even a group at that point. That's just a stereotype. But more to the point, that makes all their people one note, and from a setting-building perspective, that just doesn't work. The only way that would work is if they had other races on the planet who were not business-savvy to fill the other roles in society. Now, the Ferengi's likelihood of functioning as an actual society is something we could debate often. But I do like the idea that there are Ferengi who are not good at business, who either are forced into other things other than business because of you know, the fact that they just can't make it work, or who are forced into business anyways and fail miserably. I, I know this sounds horrible, but I like the idea of the artificial insistence upon business focus for the Ferengi leading to the detriment of the Ferengi people as an aggregate and the and, and making it so that there's basically an artificial caste system in in place here. If you are someone who is knowledgeable about business or deals or diplomacy or accounting, you're the kind of person who is in the top tier because you will be able to rise to the top of that because of all the Ferengi who are not. And this is just my own headcanon, but I've always liked the idea that there's actually a relatively small percent of Ferengi who are actually good at business. I do have some small evidence of that, but it's admittedly not really good evidence. How many Ferengi do we see across all of Star Trek who are actually good at business? Grand Nagus, right, Zek, he definitely qualifies. He is legitimately smart and legitimately plays off things. Quark probably qualifies too, even though he's kind of low tier. You could argue Gala. How many others? Like, they, right? And notice all of these are from Deep Space Nine so far. Now, there are, we could debate this. I'll admit that. I just like the idea that there's this push-down mechanic in Ferengi society to keep the rest of the Ferengi under the control of the ones who are actually good at business by this built-in idea that business is the only vocation worth getting into. I also personally like the idea that Nog is not the first Ferengi to try and break from this, that they try to break from tradition. Obviously, he's the first one to join Starfleet, but you get my point. And then, of course, towards the end, Quark's like, absolutely not. And Rom says, no, no. Good luck, son. And it's probably one of the first times Rom stands up to Quark without trying to kill him. And I like that. <sighs> really quick aside here. I like the idea of the, one of the, the crew members is actually budding and thus will be giving birth to two children in the future, and thus they want to re-do that. It's just a nice little side conversation. It's something Deep Space Nine does wonderfully, is tiny little snippets of the world going on outside of the main plot. I love those little slices of life. Anyways, I very much enjoyed this episode. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on it. I'll see you guys next time. Oh, and sorry about the lawnmowers. <laughs>